Welcome to Founders Field Notes, where you can learn from founders how to be a founder. I'm Jason Klug, founder and CEO of Klugonics Group and serial entrepreneur. This week's episode was a very exciting episode about the founder, Bennett Maxwell of Dirty Dough. And I'm sure you've heard about all the cookie wars going on between Bennett's company and then a big cookie company that ended up turning Bennett's company into another big cookie company. So Dirty Dough is a cookie franchise company that has gone in the last few years to now close to 300 locations that are under contract. It is scaled so rapidly. So in this episode, you get to hear how Bennett was able to do that and how he scaled it, not only with his sales experience, which you'll hear about, but also how he took the operations of cookie making and then intelligently built a way to scale across the country, eliminating steps in the cookie making process that his competitors are not doing. You'll learn how the media may have skewed things in that cookie war and how different Dirty Dough actually is in the grand scheme of things. So check out this week's episode where we see some dirty conflicts turn into some dirty dough. Where'd you start? You know, like when you were a kid, were you selling uh, cookies as a kid? <laughs> yeah, I was just drinking about cookies. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was selling things though. I yeah. was a. Uh, you have a sales background. Yeah. Yeah. No, like elementary, I was like selling mm-hmm. lemonade stands. Yeah. Then we upgraded to shave ice on the oh, corner. Oh, cool. Yeah. Talk but, about some high margin. But the shitty shaved ice, you know, it's just like crushed mm-hmm. ice with syrup that goes straight to the bottom. Yeah. Still but sold that, it. but it's, it's water. You're selling expensive water. <laughs> yeah. I, my, my buddy Danny, you know, he, he's an entrepreneur. He has uh, like fast casual restaurants. And I remember he was telling me when I think it was like when he's either in college or after he finished his MBA shaved ice stands were his thing because yeah. the margin is ridiculous. It's, yeah, like, it's just sugar and water. Like, you just a little splash of sugar water and you're selling it for like yeah. seven bucks. Yeah. You know, it's hot in Hawaii. We, we were doing that in um, elementary, sold some candy bars in elementary too. Got so did out you of have to acquire the machine then to do the shaved ice? No, yeah. I mean, probably my mom bought it for me for like 20 bucks. That's you know? sweet. It was, like, it was like a little, yeah. I'm telling you, the shitty machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, just, yeah, elementary, just selling stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, bring in the king-size Costco candy bars to school mm-hmm. to sling some Love candies, that. dude. Um, yeah. I did actually work for sh- an actual shaved ice company in high school. Okay. So you got some real wine style shaved ice, yeah. yeah. That was, that was my, One my of those food shacks experience. in a, like a Smith's parking lot. Exactly that. Okay. Cool. I, I helped build it and then we wheeled it out there and post stuff. That's great. In the summer. Okay. So that, that's a little, little taste of, you know, you know, building the, you know, building the business a little bit. You get a little, you know, versus just showing up interviewing and starting. You gotta, you gotta build the, yeah, build the, the freaking trailer. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> All right, so you, you sales background, you know, as a kid, you know, hustling, but is that where you started your career? Did you go right out of high school into sales jobs? Yep. What, what were you selling? I did uh, Cutco Knives. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was my first real job. That's a good That's a good one. You can make some good dough doing that, right? Yeah, I did. Um, no pun intended. I didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, Cutco, 15 bucks an hour? You know, I was like, heck yeah. But you get commission, right? Yeah, so it's 15 bucks an hour or commission, whatever, I'm tired. Okay. So 
It was it's, good. It's high pressure sales for sure. Yeah, it's door to door. Not door to door. It's referral based. Okay. So you show up to Granny's house mm-hmm. and you say, "Grandma, you know, they pay me just to present to you, so just listen." Mm-hmm. And then you present, but the product was good. I mean, they're like two thousand oh, yeah. dollars. I have a set of knives. Knife. Yeah, I've seen them. Um, so you, so anyways, you present and you're like, "Go get your, go get your knives," mm-hmm. and then you like you're trying to cut a rope with their knife, mm-hmm. and then you cut a rope with the cut cone knife mm-hmm. and you do a few other little, oh, the scissors, you cut a penny, mm-hmm. bring pennies and you cut pennies with them. Okay. <laughs> like yeah, you're to cut I, a penny. I've, I've known a couple cut coast salesmen and there's definitely some interesting tricks like name dropping. Okay. Right? So, so yeah. after the presentation, mm-hmm. you know, you ask them if they want to buy anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not where the high pressure comes in. The high pressure comes in. It's, uh, hey, Jason, thanks for, let, you know, thanks for letting me present to you. Here's a piece of paper. Write down 10 people that I can go present to. I'm saving up for my mission. Uh, you know? Oh, and then, and then, drop the pitching card. <laughs> yeah, okay. You gotta get that pity. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you're going you're gonna to help me out, right? You're mm-hmm. going to write down your 10 names. And you're like, whatever, I'm going to write down these 10 names. Probably never going to call them. Mm-hmm. And then I go, okay, cool. Start calling them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't leave till you call the names. Mm-hmm. And then I just grab the phone from you. And then I set my own appointment up. Wow. That's hustle. <laughs> it was hustle. That's a great dude. experience. I, I believe that one of the things to become a good salesman is to get all of those no's. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you got to get... Like once you're you're kind of numbed up to those no's, you're you're never afraid of them. So mm-hmm. you'll go after anything. And that's why, you know, like return missionaries do so well at sales because they get so many no's. Yeah. And they get their face, the door slammed in like, the face and they're hit the next you know, door, hit the next door, hit the and next door. And they're scrappy, so they're, you know, they're willing to sleep on a foam pad on the ground or whatever. So they, <laughs> you know, they know they have to build up the momentum and they'll have the patience to do mm-hmm. so. And and, you know, I always thought that was uh a good step in the sales process. And that goes like what, Vivint, stuff like that. Yeah, Which so you did Vivint too, right? Yeah, that's what I did after. So I did the the Cutco, mm-hmm. went on a mission to, to Tijuana. So you did do that. So you got a bunch of no's there. Got a bunch of no's there. Um, Cutco, definitely, I mean, you read the mission manual and it's a sales manual, you yeah. know? So and then you come home and then everybody recruits you to do that summer. And you feel yeah. great. You're like... Oh, you know, like now five companies. Yeah, like five different companies are making me offers and yeah. this and that. You know, they really pamper you, and you're like, I'm just an idiot. I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, um, the first company I went out with was uh, it was actually a security company. Okay, I did uh, not Vivint though. I was doing installs. Okay, I went out to Baltimore, mm-hmm. living the high life. All right, it's pretty sketch, but. Um, my buddies didn't want to do sales. They wanted to do the more secure thing, which mm-hmm. was installs. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't secure because you still have to wait for the salespeople to sell. Mm-hmm. And they all sucked. Yeah. So, so you was, would upsell and stuff? It wasn't a good It wasn't a good first half of the summer that I called my buddy who was selling pest control in California. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, I've made 10 grand. I was like, you made 10 grand in two months? That's pretty, yeah, that's good. I'm like, yeah. At that age? Yeah. yeah. I was like, dude. Like, can I come to, you know, like, where can I apply? Yeah. I didn't know they just accept anybody that breathes, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, there might be a spot for you. I think, I think a spot just opened up, you know? Yeah, that's the MLM like, aspect of it. <laughs> I was like, bro, if you give me a spot, I will drive tomorrow. I'll mm-hmm. leave tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he calls me back. He's like, okay, dude, you're in. And I was like, literally left that's the next great. day. Baltimore drove to California. Wow. Took me a few days because I broke down a few times, picked up some hitchhikers. It was a good journey. Okay. But <laughs> that's finally, great. finally got there, hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, I only sold for two months, but it was great. I mean, I was the top rookie mm-hmm. because I studied so hard. I'm just like, yeah, you, you know, I'm going to memorize everything. Mm-hmm. I'm in a freaking, my, one of the, uh, 
the things that I learned from Cutco mm-hmm. was uh, when when I got hired, they're like, hey, 15 bucks an hour, show mm-hmm. up to training next week. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't 15 bucks per hour. It was $15 per presentation. Okay. But it, you know, it takes 30 minutes to an hour to, to do the presentation. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm going to go train next week for 40 hours, 40 times 15. I was like, sweet, I'm going to make some good money next mm-hmm. week. No, but no, you don't get paid for training. I'm like, these bastards. Yeah. <laughs> this is a freaking scam. Yeah. Um, but I ended up doing it because I spoke with my dad and he's like, I was like, I'm not going to go freaking train for free for 40 hours. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? And he's like, no, people pay a lot of money for sales training. Mm-hmm. If you can go get free sales training, even if you're not taking the job, you should go do it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of switched my mindset. That's actually a good point. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this isn't that makes unpaid sense. training. This is free training. Free sales training. Free sales that you training. you can apply anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that changed my mind. And then I that, I definitely carried that when I was doing door-to-door sales. I was like, what is the top guy doing that I can't learn? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't buy into the aspect of like born salespeople or whatever. Like, I mean, there's people with sales tendencies, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, I never really loved talking to people, but I'm like, but I can learn it. Yeah. It's really just being confident. And uh, when somebody gives you an objection, mm-hmm. knowing how to acknowledge that yeah, and then, you build, know, build on it, build on it. Yeah. yeah. So for, oh, I don't want pest control because I don't see the bugs or I don't want to pay for the services in the winter or let me talk to my spouse. Mm-hmm. And I just memorize like 10 different mm-hmm. rebuttals to every single objection. Because yeah, you my see, own time. especially when you do that many, you start to see repetitive yeah. you know, things that are, you just know what to say. So, I mean, that, that mindset though really helped me excel. So I did pest control for that half the summer. Then I did a full summer and then I did Vivint for a few years and solar. Mm-hmm. But every single thing I just learned, I just always had the focus of uh, what am I learning? Mm-hmm. Like how am I sharpening the saw? Not how many cells I get today. Yeah. But by doing that, you're kind of just always picking the positives were out, right? Like, yeah. oh, sh- it's like, crap, I didn't sell anything today. But it's like, but I learned how to overcome these three objection- yeah. objectives. Or I learned that when they say, give me their card, that means F off, you know? <laughs> like, you're always learning different things. So yeah. in all of those, because I had that mindset, I think I allowed me to excel. You know, I was great. just focusing on the learning. Now, the money was great as well. Um, it was a lot more than I thought I would ever make. I was mm-hmm. on, like, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I made more money and my first like full summer mm-hmm. as a 22 or yeah, I think I was 22, 23 Then I would have made after going to college for eight years and yep. residency for three. Mm-hmm. And I did it in the summer. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. screw yeah. this school. It's thing. all performance based. <laughs> the thing is too, is it's like, you know, depending on the sales position and what you're selling, there's like no cap, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the, the company's happy to pay if you're bringing the deals, yeah. you know? And that's mm-hmm. how I do it with my sales team. It's like, you know, I'm not going to, really cap you it's like you just no you bring more you value at work you, you get paid more <laughs> yeah so, so. I, that's all i've ever done is just that i mean i, I worked that shaved ice job in the summer but other than that you know the cut codes mm-hmm. it was pretty much all commissions because i was selling mm-hmm. now but you did kind of have that safety net but i was i was always getting paid off commissions yep um and then door to door straight commission and that's mm-hmm. all i ever did one thing i remember about the cut co were like the follow-ups, like the knife sharpening follow-ups, right? Yeah. Is that something you'd do where you'd have, you know, yeah, check in and I don't be like, think hey, I come really and sharpen your knives? Or? I probably only did cuckoo for like two months. Oh, okay. So not long enough it was just, to do it. Like, yeah, it was just a few months to get Free me back until I went into my mission. Get, get, do a little test, you know. Yeah, I mean, I did it up until my mission. I just only had yeah. a few months. That's cool. Um, but I, I do remember them pitching that, like, you know, go to older customers, sharpen their knives, and then mm-hmm. upsell. Yeah. 
if I didn't have any like, old Like, oh, customers. we got some new products. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cutco knives do last a while. Like, we have a few, and they're they're pretty good. But well, that's neat. So you're, you're, you're moving solar, you're moving this, that, and the other. So then when did you, um, when was the first time you go, well, I could sell anything. I'm going to find something to sell on my own. Um, like your first product or your first business. Yeah, so I did solar in 2019 mm-hmm. for like two months. And I was working four to eight, mm-hmm. making twice as money, much as money as they did with pest control. Selling your own product or is no, this... I, was, I mean, I was selling um, Sunrun was a solar okay. company. Yeah. Through one of their dealers in light anyways, is a, in Sacramento. But in two months... Working, I mean, and, and I don't know, I had two kids then. Yeah. They're big sales too. Like each project was like 15 grand or something like that. You're usually yeah, maybe, so maybe like 25, high, 30. Yeah, high price point. Probably average. Yeah. I was selling that and barely working because <laughs> yep. the, the pest control, it's a grind. Like you wake up at 9 a.m. for your freak. No, you, you show up to your meeting at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. You go hit the doors, you go get a lunch, then you go knock till dark. I mean, mm-hmm. you're pulling long days. Well, with solar, I was working five days a week. Mm-hmm four hours a day. I was working 20 hours. I was working part-time. I was making more money. I was mm-hmm. like, this is freaking sweet. Yeah. Um, and then one of my brothers, I think he's 13 years older than me. Mm-hmm. He was in Idaho and he's like, have you ever tried to do this online? I was like, I don't freaking know anything about online stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's try it. So we mm-hmm. hired some people out of the Philippines. We paid some dude to get us some leads, trained the the people of the Philippines to you know set the appointment, mm-hmm. get the utility bill. They would confirm the appointment. Mm-hmm. They'd throw it on my calendar and I would just show up to a confirmed appointment. Interesting. Why did you, you know, why'd you click on the ad? You know, oh, mm-hmm. it was because, you know, they tell you everything they want. Well, why haven't you gone solar yet? Mm-hmm. They tell you other objections and you're like, oh, cool. Within like 10 minutes, I have to sell because I know what they want and what they yep. don't want. And I'll customize they it. showed interest too. You're not, you know, knocking yeah. blind, right? So we did that. And I think we did like a, a pilot of 18 appointments, mm-hmm. you know, and of those 18 appointments, I closed 16 of them on the first wow. time. Mm-hmm. And then one of them required a follow-up. Mm-hmm. And the last one, we never closed. Yeah. And these are like, you're making like eight to 10,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is stupid easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because it's such a good product in California. Mm-hmm. It's very market-based. Like I don't have solar in my homes here in Utah. So were you sourcing the panels and everything? No. And doing this, so that just you're so working so. with the company, you're just... Yeah, so that was in light. And then yeah. like, when my kind of teamed up with my brother, and he's like... You want to like, let's just do this ourselves. We can just go sub out the install, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, oh, this, this is the hardware is very accessible at this point. Well, we still didn't have to buy the hardware to okay. start a solar company. It's like you have the, you're the installer and mm-hmm. you have the hardware and yeah. you're like, how much do you need? Yeah. If I go sell this job and they say, well, per panel or per watt, <laughs> you know, we need to make $2 and um, 30 cents. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to go sell that sucker for $4.50 and I keep the spread. Yep. So they give you a baseline oh, or a red line. So you, and anything you, you sell above that, it's yours. So you still set up, you know, an LLC and stuff like that or... Yes. And, and so so, so yeah, what we did is we moved to San brand, Diego. Your own website. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it doesn't matter who's doing the install. Yeah, and then we just subbed out the install to whoever. Um, cool. So that was the first time, like, I actually did a real, like, year-round job. And my mm-hmm. wife's like, well, if we do it, I want to live in San Diego. So I was like, okay, well, cool. let's, let's go to San Diego. Um, so we moved to San Diego. Yeah, we, we had our first recruit in um, January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So right before COVID. But because we did, we were doing door knocking. But we were also doing online. So when COVID hit, it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. We just pivoted more online. I knew the sales. 
And my brother knew the business, mm-hmm. and I and he taught me a lot about it. Yeah, and he understood the unit economics and the mm-hmm. money and stuff like that. Or um, did you both have to do that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was more the money guy mm-hmm. um, and the projections, all that. But he was the marketing and the structure. Mm-hmm. And right when we started the business, uh, have you ever heard of the book E Myth Revisited? Mm-mm. Talks about the E Myth is the entrepreneur myth that the average entrepreneur, in this guy's opinion, and I would, I'd agree with him, isn't. Well, under his definition, like a true entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. it's I'm good at plumbing. I'm a good baker. So I'm going to start a bakery. But it's like, well, just because you're a good baker doesn't mean you can run a bakery. Just because you're a good plumber doesn't mean you can run a plumbing business. Mm -hmm. Um, So he teaches you in this book on how to make us go from a small business to a scalable business. Mm -hmm. It's all about replacing yourself. Yeah. So day one of the business, what do you imagine your company? What do you want your company to look like in three years or five years? Mm -hmm. You know, well. You know, you have the CEO and the CMO, and then you're you're filling out your org chart, you know. And so, like for solar, like uh, you know, you, you have a sales regional, sales manager, sales rep, mm-hmm. and you just put your head in the whole org chart. So I was like, "This is so stupid! Like, why are we doing this? It's just me and you, Brent. Like, we don't need to do this." And he's like, "We're doing it." So so we made the org chart, and then like I started out as a sales rep, and I developed all the pro. This is the pitch. These are the hours. Mm -hmm. This is the commission structure. These are the bonuses, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then once you build that out, you hire your first sales rep. Mm -hmm. And then I promoted myself to sales manager, right? Now I'm the manager. And what? how does manager get paid? How do they incentivize sales reps? How do they, um, what are their hours? What does the training schedule look like? Mm -hmm. Once you build that out, then you either promote the sales rep to manager or you hire manager, and then you go up to regional. Yeah. And then... So, so we did that activity and within a year, we both worked ourselves out of the business. Yeah. So everything was just going and which was cool. And then Dirty Dough. So I didn't found Dirty Dough. Anyways, um, I bought it from somebody. Yeah. But we'll get into that, right? Okay. <laughs> is that where is, is that the this natural transition? So you guys, you you get out. So the solar business is still running. No, um, or did you sell so that off? I sold it off. So okay, that first year though, I worked myself mostly out yeah. of the business, mm-hmm. and then that freed up some time. Mm-hmm. And then when there's the opportunity to buy dirty dough, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can buy it because yeah. I have some time to figure it out. Yeah, and to that to that point, the way I look at, you know, because obviously I've done that here because like my my background is engineering. So I started actually doing the CAD work and then mm-hmm. I hired an engineer and then I hired a designer and then I hired the project managers and sales yep. and so on and so forth. But so the way I always look at it is like an octopus and each tentacle is a different skill set and you have to figure out which tentacle you're cutting off first mm-hmm. and then slowly cut all those tentacles off until you're, you know. The octopus. Yeah. You should write a book. Yeah, no way. <laughs> I don't have enough attention to do that. Did you can spend. okay? Let me tell you. Uh, uh, I'm writing a book right now, and I also okay. don't have any attention. You just hire somebody, the they interview writer. you, <laughs> yeah, and then they release a book, Maybe and then you day. pay some money, and they get you on Amazon bestseller, and then mm-hmm. it's just for the clout. Mm. That's what I'm doing. I think I'll consider that. To come out in like May. Yeah, write that down, Corey. That's a good idea. <laughs> I'll be like, listen to all these podcasts, and anytime I say something that sounds intelligent, just write that down. <laughs> so make would, a chapter about that. Legitimately, though, it was like. <laughs> two or three hour long interviews. Mm -hmm. And then it was actually, I transcribed. I mean, I had my assistant, you know, use some software to transcribe some podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then she read through those. And then, you know, should just write write a a book book. about dough. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so yeah, so you you, you replaced yourself, you know, you, both you and your brother. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So then, and then I was like, this, did this the two of you go in and buy this company together? Is that where you, did you get, you, you guys were like, do your own thing at that point? You guys split up? Yeah, split he, kept, up? he kept making fun of me. He's like, you're going to go to cookies? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, <laughs> if, he, if he knew, you know, chip cookies, all the different cookie companies, yeah. right? Like, obviously crumble and stuff like that. They're, they're banging, they're popping off, right? Yeah. So it make, makes sense. So you buy it <clears throat> at what age? What age was the company when you bought it? Was it like one location? And Yeah, one location mm-hmm. um, out of Tempe and it was losing money. Okay. And but the product was good. You liked the cookies. Yeah. Well, I, I saw in that Arizona was, at the time then, or how I was did still you, in San Diego. How did you find that? Um, I went to high school with the dude. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So I was already an investor in it. Mm-hmm. I came in in 2019, gave him some money to open up a storefront. Okay. Then when he opened the storefront, I'm in San Diego. I'm like, dude, let's franchise. Mm-hmm. I'll be your first franchisee. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't want to franchise. He's like, cookies suck. I want to get out of this. You know, I had my little shaved ice experience, but I've never had like a real food job or franchising experience. Never made cookies. Like Mm -hmm. not my wheelhouse at all, but I saw, I was like, I know the owners of Crumble. Mm -hmm. Like they seem like cool guys. They don't seem like super intelligent. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that they're not intelligent, you know, (laughs) kind of back to like the sales mentality. Top Mm -hmm. sales rep, what is he doing that I can't learn? Mm -hmm. What are these crumble guys doing that I can't learn? Mm -hmm. Like, he's just making cookies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I could do it a lot more simple. So the crumble model was, if you want to buy a franchise, you have to go operate it yourself. How many people want to buy a business? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people want to buy a business, but how many people want to buy a job? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's not that attractive. What if I can simplify this so you can buy the franchise and scale and open up multiple franchises without you living in the store and being a baker. Mm-hmm. So that you find the operators and then sell the franchise with the operator then? No. Um, what we did, so this this is the cookie model of all the companies that I know of here, like the Chip and Crumble and Crave or Cookie Co., whatever they are. Mm-hmm. They give you a recipe. You hire your own employees. You get your own mixers. Mm-hmm. You train them to, you know, scoop the flour properly so there's not air bubbles, but it's not packed. And Mm -hmm. then you mix in small mixers, 60 Mm -hmm. cookies at a time. Then you grab the raw dough, you place it on a scale till it weighs, you know, five ounces, six ounces, whatever your cookie size. You put in little pieces of dough. And then once it weighs just right, then you're going to form it by hand, roll it on the table. It's just, I mean, it takes forever. Yeah. And it's very inconsistent. So what if I could automate all of that? And then give the franchisees a cookie dough puck. Yeah, frozen. And then they just put it in the oven. That makes sense. So now, under that model, you can open up your storefronts for half the cost. Mm-hmm. No, less machinery. Less machinery. Less labor. Less square footage. Mm-hmm. There's no more flour or sugar, which causes the mess in the store, so less cleaning. Mm-hmm. No more hand weighing anything, you know. So, you, so your labor, and this is was during COVID, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, and it was all about labor, like because nobody could find employees, right? So, like, okay, for the this, the same dollar of revenue, if I could do half the labor, mm-hmm. like that's that's killer, right? So that's the model we developed. We just needed to find a machine that produced a gourmet, like multi flavored cookie, mm-hmm. but you could mass produce it. And we found so it does machine. it like extrude it into like a tube and you slice it? Yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it does it all, and then it does these uh, these three-layer cookies. Yeah, that's sweet. So, like a peanut butter dough on the outside, a chocolate dough in the middle, and then a hot fudge center. Sweet. So, that, that first year is kind of like, what are we doing? How do we do the, you know, develop the model? And after about six months in... Is, op- this, is this what you did before 
the first location, the first location, he was still hand making them. Yeah. And then, so then you go in, you're like, okay, the unit economics, something's off here. Mm -hmm. So these are the things, these are the steps we need to take to, to automate it. Exactly. Great. So like the first, before we found this machine, we had some guy weld like little, uh, cookie molds and we were mm -hmm. like stuffing it in there and like i mean it was a mess but we were going through yeah, all, like how do you it's a fun make building experience efficient though mm -hmm. and then you know and then we found a machine and we bought the machine and we're like oh yeah this solves most all of the problems mm -hmm. okay and then now if we let's take the machine out of that tempe store let's throw it in a warehouse and now we can centrally order everything mm -hmm. and then you're getting you know 20 percent off of your flour and sugar compared to these other cookie companies yeah. because you can buy a truckload at a time you don't have to go through third-party vendors anymore mm -hmm. um so it's kind of the model and now we're mixing here in utah we mix a few thousand cookies per batch rather than 60 cookies a batch right. we use professional bakers rather than teenagers mm -hmm. and then rather than hand portioning them which is super expensive and very inconsistent i mean go buy a box of cookies from one of these other cookie companies mm -hmm. and weigh them all they all weigh different go do that to ours everyone's the exact same yeah and then the quality control is done most everything is done at a corporate level mm -hmm. now our franchisees you don't need to be an expert baker because you will never measure flour you just put some in the oven mm -hmm. right and then that's also reducing waste a lot yeah so that first year is kind of developing the model and then we franchised um we sold our first franchise in december of 21 mm -hmm. i sold the solar company in june of 21 mm -hmm. just trying to do both of the it was just too much yeah. um it's, and it's hard. It's probably hard to do that unless, like, like I can only do four businesses in here because they're all using the same resources. Yeah, you know, versus solar and cookies. Obviously, yeah, it was very different. <laughs> so I didn't think I was going to sell the solar because it was just a sales work. But the opportunity, you know, somebody wanted to buy it, so we sold it. Yeah, and then I dove full time into cookies. Mm -hmm. So we started selling franchises in December. Um, started building a good team, and it was key to find somebody that knew what the hell they were doing because I didn't. Mm -hmm. So we hired Jill as our CEO. Um, she started Maui Wowie Smoothies and Coffee yeah. cool. in 83. Wow. So she great took background. that up to just under 700 locations, sold it, started a franchise development company, was hired as a CEO of another company um, out of Utah called Totally Nuts. If you've mm -hmm. ever been to like the Vivint Smart Home Arena, you know, they... They sell those nuts. Those like candied nuts? Those, the candied nuts, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that was like zero to 90 in a few years. And wow. then, so yeah, this is our 40th year as CEO of a franchise. That's brand. incredible. So I'm like, Jill, you could run this. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't have the money really to, I mean, we weren't, we didn't have revenue to pay her, but I was like, well, I'll go knock doors. Yeah. You know, I'll go sell Start a solar franchise. Oh, no, no, I'll go, I'll go sell oh. solar to pay her salary. Okay, All that's right. what I thought. I love that. No, I never, I never had to. Yeah, because still, who's gonna buy a franchise? I like that mentality, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, who's gonna buy we'll a franchise from me? You know, nobody's gonna buy a franchise from me. Yeah. Who's gonna buy a franchise from Jill? Everybody wants to buy a franchise yeah. from her. So my time is better spent knocking doors in solar and paying her salary. Mm -hmm. Again, I never had to do that, but that's that's why I hired her because mm -hmm. it's like we don't have the money. But if I need more money, I'll just go knock doors. Mm -hmm. So she came on and we just started building a superstar team. Same thing, uh, Josh over our production and because now we're a food manufacturing company. We're also a logistics company as well. Mm -hmm. So I had to hire an all-star in both of those. You guys own the trucks, the refrigerated trucks? Uh -huh. Wow. And then we had to, uh, and then we, we got a really good team of advisors. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we just start, started selling franchises. Uh, we opened our first franchise in June of 2022. Mm -hmm. And then now Very we're in recently. February. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what is that? Six, seven, eight months. Mm -hmm. Eight months later, and we have twelve stores open and over three hundred that we sold. Mm -hmm. 
and we have one or but two a, opening every week. But a platform week. that's incredibly scalable. Yes. Yeah. So like a, your chassis strong. Yeah. So big, big, uh, big plans for the future. Yeah. So what what states are you, you're focusing on? Obviously, like Utah, Arizona area is that the main focus right now? Or I mean, we have over 300 sold. So we're in mm-hmm. Maryland to Florida oh, wow. to several dozen in Texas, so California, when, Oregon. I mean, we're all over. When someone buys a franchise, what's what's the schedule like? Is it like a six-month build-out? Is it a, you know, what does um, that look like? Six to nine months. How much are these franchises? Like, I want one now. <laughs> they're like mid-200s. Okay. So that's like common. That's like pretty common these days for franchise models, isn't it? About like, um, like 200 or so, depending on like the build-out and whatnot and yeah. location. Crumbles are like five to six hundred. Oh, um, wow. If you go to like a Jimmy John's, the something like that, um, or like a pizza, those are usually three quarters to a million. Like mm. McDonald's are definitely wow. over a million. Same with yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, big build out. We're, we're one of the lowest play. costing franchises. It makes so sense. So you have basically pay your franchise fee, 40000 equipment's fifty, and then mm-hmm. your build out. Those are your main expenses. Mm-hmm. Build out. You know, some of them are building out for 70, some of them are building it out for 150. Mm-hmm. You know, what was in the location before, what do yeah. you have to do to it, all that. Um, but, you know, over, overall, I mean, we're opening up these stores on average, you know, half the cost of a crumble. Mm-hmm. A lot quicker time. It's like a two to three month build out, but then you have to find your location, negotiate the lease. Hire. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's like six to nine months mm-hmm. from that's that time to sign to open it up. Yeah, And then... You know, obviously people are, you know, there's the foot traffic, there's the, you know, people that drive up and get, you guys mm-hmm. do the DoorDash and stuff yep. like that. So that's part of it. Yep. All the delivery um, apps. So then is there a future potentially of doing, you know, like I've seen Ruby Snap at Harmon's, for example, and they're frozen. I'm guessing that is a, there's a potential there. Yeah. Yes and no. We're not going to do that for Dirty Dough. We don't want to compete with franchisees. Okay. Um, but our manufacturing arm, Domi Foods, um, it's a subsidiary of, of Dirty Dough. Mm-hmm. And to keep costs low, we do do co-packing for other companies. That makes sense. So, like, if you want to start a cookie company. Mm-hmm. I don't. But you, you can say, hey, can you, you know, <laughs> we'll produce your cookies. Give me the recipe, right? Cool. But I don't want to compete against franchisees. That's, um, that makes sense. But can our manufacturing do a wholesale deal with, you know, Harmon's or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they give us Just a recipe. Different, different recipe or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's great. So then in each location, how many different uh, recipes are there? We do eight, eight cookies at a time. Okay. So we do uh, six permanent and two rotating. So the logistics of that is interesting to think about, you know, like when someone buys a box of cookies, do they usually get one of each or is there like, you know, uh, yeah. like some are more than others, but you only do one of each then? Or, or do you have to like, for no, example, I mean, the chocolate chip or whatever, like the, the biggest seller, are you making twice as much of that compared to some of the other flavors? Yeah. And you have that figured out. Yeah. I mean, we're still figuring it out. And um, I'm sure regionally we that'll have data change. analytics plugged in. We yeah. just don't have all the data for it to be, mm-hmm. they, they say that it'll be 95% accurate once we get all the data, right? But we're yeah. not there yet. Mm-hmm. So the good thing is like, you can't, it's a frozen product. Mm-hmm. But you're not ever going to waste it, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, you can keep several weeks worth of oh, inventory yeah. if you need. So we're not worried about running out because you just you know you just keep it in there. Mm-hmm. And then if you ordered a little bit too much one week, just order a little bit le- ne- less the next week. Yeah. So then then scaling your the the logistics side of it, you know, if you're going like Maryland and you know East Coast West Coast and stuff like that, are you going to do? 
all of the manufacturing here in Utah, or are you going to start opening regional facilities? We'll do two or three nationwide. So yeah. we have our here. We'll do another one probably in Tennessee. Mm. Maybe one in like Iowa or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it's not that expensive to ship them. We ship them to one of Cisco's 26 distribution centers and then they do the final leg for us. Got it. So, so we do the first leg. They, they do the final leg. And all that stuff. Yep. That's a that's a fast build. Yeah. So so <laughs> you've learned going. a lot in the, the last couple of years for you has just been. Yeah, it's been two years, two years and a month. Yeah, like a I've lot of learning. It. Yeah. A lot of figuring out a model that just doesn't, you <laughs> just know, going so, with so it. So who's man. your, who's the um, person by your side that's like the operational side of this? That's the, you know, helping you. Like I always think of like an entrepreneur. A lot of times, like yourself, is like mm-hmm. either sales or they're like the expert in the field that they're selling. You know, or they're ADHD like me, and they have too many things going on. They need to surround themselves with operators in yep. each bucket. So. How quickly did you find that operator? Was that like one of the first things you brought on other than the CEO or what? Yeah, from from right at the beginning, I had some partners and one of them was was the operator. When we brought on an advisor, John Richards, mm-hmm. took a course called Startup Ignition. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of that, yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I just sold a solar company. I was like, oh, what is, what is this guy going to teach me? Mm-hmm. Well, he's done multiple billion dollar companies. Oh, yeah. So it's a different, it's just a different ballpark, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you have to set up vesting agreements you have to you know he's like no you cannot do it part-time yeah so even after i sold the company i still had a salary i was still making a lot in stocks um and he's like if you want this to succeed you have to walk away from all of it i was like no john like you don't understand this is like one or two hours a week and i'm making you know multiple six figures a year Mm -hmm. for a few hours a week like i'm gonna keep this he's like do you want my advice or not and i was Mm -hmm. like F you, dude. Anyways, I walked away from it all. Mm-hmm. I just completely, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big and operation. <laughs> and, it, and it paid off. So anyways, to answer your question, I did have like an ops person. Mm-hmm. I ended up buying him back out, mm-hmm. bought out all my partners. And um, and then that's probably about when Jill came on. Mm-hmm. And then we hired a COO maybe six, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a director, global director of operations at Domino's, COO mm-hmm. of Costa Vida, and then he was the CEO of Swig. Okay. Um, so we brought him on. Comparable model, Swig kind of. Yeah, way. I mean, they serve cookies as well. Yeah. You know, they, they do just, mainly sodas, but um, yeah. But no, we have a really, really good team. Solid but team. But I would say like Jill's the one like, she's getting it all done. Mm-hmm. But, and then she has operators under her, you know, we have a few mm-hmm. in-store ops, we have franchise support. I mean, yeah, it's grown Mm-hmm. I don't even know everybody's name because I don't hire them. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Because she's just going. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you guys get a ton of media this oh, yeah. last year. And, <laughs> you know, any press is good press. You know, so what, what's that all about? Um, See, I thought I was interviewing you were a, a, a cookie maker at a competitor. And then all of a sudden you start your own cookie. That's what it sounds like, right? That it does. Yeah, publicly, never, that's what they make it sound like. Yeah, and but, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, they, so Crumble asked me to come do franchise sales for them mm-hmm. in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I showed up to talk to him about it. And this is like one you're, meeting. Yeah. You're doing your due diligence. You're learning. I, you yeah. know, I kind of was asking the question and I'm like, no, nah, I'd rather go sell solar, you know, because mm-hmm. this is, that was the summer I was going to transition to solar. Mm-hmm. During that meeting, they they started talking about franchises though. I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll be interested in buying a franchise. Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. You'd have to move out of Utah and you have to operate yourself. I'm like, nope. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was, you know, one meeting and that was the whole conversation. And then they come out and in the lawsuit, um, they say that I applied to, to, for a sales job. And I'm like, 
show me my resume. Mm-hmm. I never freaking applied. You guys asked me to come in, mm-hmm. never applied. And then I applied to be a franchise. Show me my application. Yeah. Never applied for shit. Like yeah. you guys asked me if I wanted to buy a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they haven't produced any of those documents because they don't exist. Yeah. No. So, so they filed a, just a stupid bogus lawsuit with just a bunch of fluff in it. And um, I'd say it worked in your favor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what they did, which is the stupidest thing that they could have done. So before when I said they're smart guys, they're smart guys. But this was a stupid decision for them. Mm-hmm. They took a company that had zero franchises open and they sued them. Mm-hmm. In the public's eye, it's like dirty Dover's crumble. Yeah. It's not Dirty Dough versus Crumble. Crumble has 700 locations. Dirty Dough has yeah. one. Yeah. Like, we're not on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. But people didn't know that. They're just mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, there's two companies They're battling. Like, hey, where's, where's this Dirty Dough? I want to try some of these. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, I just explained our model versus Crumble. It's clearly, like, it's ha- different. hands down, mm-hmm. it's way better. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nobody's going to look at the two models and be like, oh, I want mm-hmm. the Crumble model and make well, my own chip. the product chip. is different. <laughs> like, I, so, comparing the product is very different. And that's the very thing that always, cookie. when I saw the... You know, when I heard about the lawsuit and I knew the differences between the cookies, I was like, but the, the, I, like that was clear. Yeah. You know, that there's, well, you got the stuffing and all that stuff. And the, we'll get, yeah, yeah there, there's not two cookies. I mean, a cookie's a cookie, right? Yeah. You can't sue over a cookie even if they look the exact same. Yeah, but but you the, couldn't get two cookies that look more different. Yeah. They do inch of a frosting on a flat cookie. Mm-hmm. We do stuffed cookies with no frosting. Yeah. Like thick. You, you couldn't get more different. Yeah. Um, but that put us. It, it gave us national attention because mm-hmm. we made fun of it and we did billboards and we, you know, hired professional actors and just had oh, fun with it. I saw the ad. Didn't you do that with, did you do that with Travis? With Chambers? Um, the no. Ad? No? Who'd you do that with? We did uh, Buck was, Wild Media. Okay. So that they, was funny. I even shared that. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was hilarious. They did a good job. Um, yeah. With the with and the then, Christian walking, I know that yeah, guy. Dude, Christian, Christian walking Fuse up, say, the, yeah, he's a funny guy. He's awesome. <laughs> walking up down the hallway with um, his posse and stuff. Yeah, man, this is great. They did a great job on that. And then between that and the billboards, you know, people really liked kind of the David versus Goliath story. Mm-hmm. Tons of, I mean, dozens of local news stations and dozens of states picked it up. And then yeah. CNBC and then Good Morning America, yeah. Wall Street Journal. And what it did is it put eyes on us. Just kind of what you were saying. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, why are they suing them? And you mm-hmm. read a little bit. You're like, oh, the, well, their cookies are the same. And But then you go to your, our website and you're like, wait, this is completely different. Yeah. Where <laughs> like, you get them and you see them. It's, so it's like very clear. It put the eyes. Like we already had the model that is a lot easier to run. I mean, mm-hmm. just hands down, it's, it's an easier franchise to run. We just needed more eyes on us and they gave us those eyes. So when they filed the lawsuit, we had 60 stores sold. So mm-hmm. we were on a good track. Nothing came out of the lawsuit, though, for like another 45 days um, because it was kind of like, oh, this is stupid. Well, KSL picked it up. Mm -hmm. So like 45 days went by, then KSL picked up, picked it up. And that's when we started our response because we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, if the media is going to come out, like we're going to control the narrative Mm -hmm. (laughs) because this is silly. Yeah. We had 90 franchises sold. Fast forward to now. Mm -hmm. um, we have over 300 sold. I mean, it was like a... So you couldn't... There's nothing that would have that would yeah. have spurred our growth more. You don't have to Crumble educate anybody. That, wow, they really screwed themselves with that. that that's. That, that, I think that's the worst thing. That, and now we're... Yeah. As far as anything that I know... Um, oh, you're good. The mic, dude. Yeah. Um, as far as franchise sales, now, yeah, we only have a dozen open. Yeah. Right? Um, but we are opening them every single week now until yeah. all 300 are open. Yeah. And... From everything I know, we're, we're their largest competitor now. Yeah. And that was, you know, it's been eight months since they sued us. Wow. And we definitely weren't, you know, anyway. So what a, they're what great. A, they're, Crumble has amazing marketing yeah. for them and for us. I mean, mm-hmm. they just, they just kill it. 
Yeah, they have good branding and stuff, you know, like, yeah. And then I, I, I see the chip, which is like, is chip is local, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little smaller, company. right? But but the thing about chip is like the, the variety's not there. So I always thought mm-hmm. that was like, you know, they put one right by my house and I swear like no one goes to it in Murray. Okay. You know, they, I don't know where that chip is. Exactly. It's a good product. It's but, like um, kind of tucked on a little side street, so it's hard to see. But yeah, their product is good. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, that location, I don't... And they've been I've around for like six and a half years, I think. And they, and, they mm-hmm. and and we already have more locations than them, mm-hmm. you know, within a year of franchising. Yeah. Because they didn't franchise, they did corporate. Now okay. they're franchising, so I think they're they're going to start growing pretty mm-hmm. quick. But it's... um. I don't, I don't think it has the staying power. Mm-hmm. The margins just aren't there. Mm-hmm. The margins in cookies are not there if you do it by hand. Yeah. They are there if you're Crumble and your average store does 1.7 million. Yeah. But that's not Volume that's play. not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You can do 1.7 million when you're in freaking Oklahoma and no other cookie stores are there. Mm-hmm. But as other cookie stores pop up, the margins, you start, everybody goes lower. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they reported on their, because they report financials. Mm-hmm. If you're a franchise, their lowest store did three quarters of a billion dollars and only pulled in 33,000. And just like, wait, what? Mm. You could pull in three quarters of a million dollars, but you're only taking home 33 grand? Like, wow. I just don't think that's a sustainable model at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wonder if that's why part of the reason why Chip only does a select few number of cookies. You know, they, I don't know they, if it's they, that. I don't think it's the flavor. I mean, whether you do only chocolate chip or you do yeah, they have like two flavors, flavors. Either way, you're weighing everything by hand, right. which yeah. is hard. Wow. But it's good if you're the only one, right? It's you're mm-hmm. fat and happy until competition, and then everybody, everybody, the the top line goes down. Mm-hmm. So what's your bottom line? Mm-hmm. And you have to have low labor, low cost of goods, yeah. low waste, low square footage, and mm-hmm. I think we're the only ones doing that. Yeah, and so, so with all this as you're building. You know, is there like, do you have like an exit plan with it? Or do you like, you, you want to do this for the next 10 years? Like, no, what are I, th- your I think five years is kind of five years and reevaluate. Once that uh, capital gains tax goes away. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they. Well, you get a, a qualified small business um, mm-hmm. tax exemption. You mm-hmm. keep the business for five years as yep. a C Corp, you know. I do that right away for that reason. Check your exit, you know, whatever you have yeah. to do. Um, so we'll keep it for at least five years. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, it's a lot more, I, I've still never made cookies. Mm-hmm. Like if you go into Dirty Dough, it has a big mental health push mm-hmm. and all the different packaging has different like mental health messages like because that. it's it's what's on the inside of our cookies, right? Yeah. Dirty Dough means the dough is dirty because we focus on the inside because we know the inside is what's important. Cool. So that's what I'm more passionate about. Um, cool. So within five years, we want to open a thousand franchises. Mm-hmm. In conjunction with our nonprofit Life is Sweet Foundation, oh, we want to open up a yeah, thousand profit too. Yeah, dude, <laughs> this is moving real quick. We want to do we want to like do a it. thousand um, wellness centers. So you wow. contact a school, K through twelve school, and I mean they're popping up all over, mm-hmm. like Utah, but all over the nation as well. Um, I've I've visited a handful in Utah Valley around me. I didn't even know these existed, mm-hmm. but you're converting an old classroom to a spot where kids could come learn about mental health. So the way that they That's work, amazing. the way that ours are going to work, you come in and the kids are, you know, there's somebody there um, and they, they check in and you're identifying your emotions. So it's getting kids to, like, what is the difference between angry and frustrated, sad, depressed, whatever. You identify your emotion, then you go pick an activity, whether it's breathing exercises, you know, different breath work mm-hmm. or gratitude and you're writing gratitude cards or guided meditation mm-hmm. um, or you're just coloring, right? You yeah. do that for 10, 15 minutes then you identify how you're feeling on your way out. So it's it's getting kids to identify emotions, be comfortable with what they're feeling, and then know the different tools 
that they can use and how to regulate that. Because I mean, I'm sure you you mentioned ADHD. That's oh, probably yeah. all of us, dude. I'm still um, learning about myself with all that. But the 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 stress that happens in life, especially mm-hmm. in the entrepreneur world, mm-hmm. like I do all of that stuff. Like I'm big into like the meditation and the ice baths and the sauna and like sure. I look at like these light, these bright lights in the morning to mm-hmm. to rise cortisol levels, mm-hmm. reset melatonin. Like I'm very big. Into, I didn't know any of that though in school. And oh, now yeah. when you start playing at a different level, and your business will start growing, and you're getting investors, mm-hmm. and anyway, it's just a it's just more stressful. You know, like yeah. I have dozens of people counting on me for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. How do I how do I manage that mm-hmm. mentally? Mm-hmm. So I want to teach kids. Early on. Early on how to do that, including my kids, because the stats out there are effing scary. I don't know yeah. if I'm allowed to say the F word on here, but... I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, yeah. I, anyway, so that's that's what I'm super passionate about. That's amazing. Um, is that mental health side. And then the other, I guess, leg of the business or the purpose is entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Lowering the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship. No, mm-hmm. not saying entrepreneurship is for everybody, but mm-hmm. the people who want to get into it, it's very empowering. It's been Mm -hmm. very empowering for me. Mm -hmm. So how do I lower that barrier of entry? Well, let's give them a model that's easy to run. Mm -hmm. that doesn't require a ton of employees. Mm -hmm. That is half the cost of any other, you know, of the competition. And we also do mobile franchise trailers. Mm. So that's even half the cost. You know, that's just like hundred grand. Yeah. Um, But you can lease, you could do like a zero down lease Mm. for that. So now you can have a mobile cookie trailer you could take to events and you can make great money off of it. Mm You know, I you think do it's it like, on your own time and stuff like that. Yeah, and 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 so now you can own a good business mm. um, for maybe I don't know, thirty grand down, and then you finance the rest. Yeah, right. So, how do we empower more people to be entrepreneurs? And kind of going back to Jill, this is her fortieth year as a franchise, uh, as a CEO of a franchise or brand. Mm-hmm. Well, she still has franchisees that she signed up forty years ago. That's amazing. Like, how cool is that? That you see, yeah. you see. People She's buy business. Lives. For the, the, and, but it's generational. Years, I mean, who's, who's still running it 40 years later? Mm-hmm. It's their kids, right? Mm-hmm. Their kids are running it. Mm-hmm. So when you can pass on a generational business, generational wealth, I mean, like, that's my dream. Yeah. Like, I want to empower people like that. I like that. So that's kind of, kind and that's of big part picture. of the podcast you're working on. In, in Deeper than dough. Yeah. Talking about yeah. that. I yeah, like that. More than money. Wow. That's, ex- that's exciting. And so then you have, you have long days. I have some long days. Yeah. <laughs> I've had long days the last two weeks. Usually yeah. I don't though. Yeah. Usually I, I try to, that. I do try to cut myself off at five because I can that's, have that's long days too. I'm like, you know, what? I, I, I could, and I, of course I, having the China office, I'll do like two calls a week or whatever with the China office and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I try to keep those even short. No nights, no weekends <laughs> end at five. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the last two nights I had some cocktail event with mm-hmm. some family office. I don't even freaking know. Yeah. Usually, the, and I get invited and to that's something like, socializing like stuff. 10 times a week, like, oh, come to this event. And oh, I yeah. always just say it's, it's a hard no every single time. Yeah. Unless like this one we sponsored uh-huh. was like 90 family offices. Yeah. And I got to, you know, yeah. Go rub shoulders. You got to have those freaking all these people with yeah. million dollar funds. Um, yeah. But usually it's like, no, I, I'm done at five. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for a while to tell people no. Mm-hmm. Like all these events or these, and most of them are networking and I know they'd be helpful. But now when I respond, it's not like I can't, I used to say, no, I can't make it. And then mm-hmm. they just keep inviting me. Yeah. And <laughs> now I, I just I'm say, I don't work past five. Yeah. So if you do an event during the day, I'm there. I don't, if you I don't, don't go, I'm not there. Uh, like never. I stopped going to those. Uh, like I don't, I don't really 
you know, some would say I don't get out much with it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know who I am because of it, right? But I, my clients do, and the the you know the industries that I focus on, you know, there's, we have exposure well, there. there but. There's some out there that they do they do them in the day, mm-hmm. and I'll go to those. So yeah, like I, lunch I, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like one I just joined, I'm really excited about. It's called Trust mm. T U R or. T-R-U-S-S. Anyways, they do a monthly lunch mm-hmm. and then they do like two larger vacations. Mm-hmm. So the first That's one's cool. in Tahoe and I get to bring my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought my wife to one. We went to Moab a few months back. So like if it's a few days, it's like, well, I want to bring my wife. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one with Belize. I'm not, she's not coming because mm-hmm. of scuba diving. So that one's just okay. for me. But like, you know. Yeah, that's fun. that's fun. So that way you're you're getting a, a break. You get a you know, yep. Enjoy yourself, but also you're connecting with people of value and, and yeah. And then it's and then the monthly lunch as well, and it's it's at the lunch. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you do, you know, a mastermind thing in the day, I'll mm-hmm. come. Mm-hmm. But in the evening, yeah, I'm with you there. Nope, I, can't. I mean, like, I got kids. Yeah, I, I just uh, I haven't. Uh, like even like next weekend, I'm going to go to a trade show and it's still just like, even, that it's in Chicago, the okay. International Home and Houseware Show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wasn't going to go because the sales team is going, but at the same time, it's like, well, I can, I, I you know, I have a meeting with Nordstrom and Williams-Sonoma, you know, who are currently chatting with about Durai and stuff like that. And it's like, well, the FaceTime's valuable there. Yeah. You know, and I have friends in Chicago, so I'll go see some friends and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's it gets harder and harder to do that. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's easier to do that if you set, like when you're in town, mm-hmm. you don't work past five, you don't work weekends, mm-hmm. then, you know, every month or so go out of town. I mean, next week I'm, I'm, I'm going out of town to Vegas and to Tampa. That's going to be the first time I've gone out for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, Trade shows or what? Um, a franchise conference. It's like the... International Franchise Association. That's kind of the big one. Mm-hmm. It's like a four-day one for two. But I already have like a packed schedule just because like everybody goes and, you know, kind of go hang out. Yep. And then Tampa, I don't know where I'm going, dude. Yep. These guys wanted to invest, but they mm-hmm. wanted way too much. But he was one of like the original shark uh, mm-hmm. from the Shark Tank. Is it uh, shark. Kevin? Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I did Shark Tank too. Oh, sick. I did. I, I, I did. uh um, Durai, I went on, they never aired it. Those bastards. I, I took a deal on the show. <laughs> oh, you did? They never aired it. And then after we found out it wasn't airing, the, I, I, you know, I just gave up on the deal. I didn't, you know, obviously it's not worth it. If yeah. It doesn't air. Who was the, the deal with? Uh, Mr. Wonderful. Okay. He's actually a very nice guy. He's actually much more low key off camera than yeah. than in on that camera. TV person. He's, he's more entrepreneurial friendly too than some of the others. Like I hear Lori is aggressive because we have a lot of clients that have done Shark Tank and stuff uh-huh. like that. And I hear she does some. Her deals are not as good as they seem. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think I think it's a cool. But yeah, they're super aggressive. Mm-hmm. People get beat up on that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, th- this company um, got in contact with them and they're like, "Yeah, don't fly out." And is I'm it, like, "Oh, it'll be fun." I've I've heard well I've been and, hit by that the his, him and his group yeah it's pretty it's very know. aggressive what they want about it. Um, but I'm kind of like so there's there's another mastermind and I know a lot of people on that board of advisors and it's based out of Tampa mm-hmm. so I'm like I'll go I stay mm-hmm. for one night yeah go for the day yeah. you know and fly back the next night yeah. um, so I'll go meet with them I think you know so there, there could be some valuable connections but I'm also kind of like should I go because I don't think I mean we're we are we're like. Today or yesterday, we decided we're closing our fundraising round. Mm-hmm. Like we picked who we wanted now. Mm-hmm. And I haven't told them that, but mm-hmm. I well, think maybe in the future a, round, right? This will be out in like a month or so. So you're going to... Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't let him listen to it. Yeah. No, I, that, that's always a... Uh, I think it's like, a good relationship, though, either way. I've everything 
like, okay. I, like I, I, Durai is the only company I raised money for. I raised 120 grand back in 2019. Uh-huh. And other than that, I've bootstrapped everything, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I've had so many like family office and PE discussions and Wanted stuff. Wanted to invest? Yeah. But, well, no, more, more me like, okay, you know, do the chip off the table type deal and then, you know, grow it with all their resources and then sell yeah. it again type deal, you know? And, yeah, it's, it doesn't. It's never appealing when you actually get the numbers on paper. It's like, well, I don't need that. Yeah, I can wait five more years or three more years or All whatever. Right. Yeah, like with solar, we didn't raise any money. Mm-hmm. Um, I I funded it. Yeah, but this is a lot larger scale. And it's totally. Like, yeah, yeah. We need four million dollars for equipment. There's a point equipment. where you need mm-hmm. money, or, or like, if, or you know, and then there's obviously like debt tools and stuff like that for. For the consumer product side of the businesses, like thankfully there's a lot of debt tools that are easy to, Mm -hmm. uh, that are built around the model and they're easy to tap into and you can get as much money as you need as you scale, Yeah, you know, versus, yeah, something like that. I can see you need a lump sum. Yeah, and and we're we're raising and it's really, I mean, it's just me and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's some advisors have a little bit of, you know, a few percent, Mm -hmm. some stock options for employees. Mm -hmm. And then we did raise money last June. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like eight hundred and something thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, and we gave it away like eight percent. That's a good deal. Yeah. Um, but now we're raising it over twice the valuation again. So yeah. for a few million, we'll mm-hmm. you know give away another I don't know ten ten percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of look at it as you know, can we grow without it? Maybe. But I have 300 franchisees that I can make sure they're successful well, and I don't care yeah. about the equity. You and, know? You, and also you, if you remove that, that, you know, that minimum cash balance aspect that removes a big chunk of stress from yeah. you where, where it's, you can focus on the growth and make sure it's successful because yep. 300 locations opening up is a lot to focus on. And the last thing you want is cash flow things getting in your way. Yeah. And, and that's really where, because it's like, well, how much you're raising? It's like, well, really are we're selling so many franchises we don't need to raise like mm-hmm. it's going really well but i don't want to run the business off of franchise sales and yeah. just in case so i'm kind of preemptively and going back to our advisor he kind of he's like dude if this succeeds you know you can sell for a billion dollars yeah if it doesn't succeed mm-hmm. then it doesn't succeed will it matter if you have 70 percent or 60 percent if you sell no. for a billion dollars like no. your lifestyle doesn't <laughs> you change got a PJ. either either <laughs> it either doesn't it either doesn't succeed yeah and that 10 percent doesn't matter or mm-hmm. it succeeds and the 10 percent also doesn't matter yeah because your lifestyle doesn't change with yeah. that amount of money so i i i'm very grateful Smart for his play. advice on that yeah. and i'm like I don't care to give away, even if we don't technically need it. Everyone's like, guard your equity, guard your equity. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not my purpose. My purpose is empowering entrepreneurs and building mm-hmm. these wellness centers. And I can do that with more cash and less equity. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, you still have plenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll self-control. And that's yeah. really what, what it comes down to. That's that's great, man. I didn't know. Uh, it's cool to hear the, the side of the story versus the very, very high level, you know, understand that I had about it from the media, like you're saying, yep. how much it twisted it. And then in, you know, I think the, the, the mission and then also the side, you know, nonprofit side of things, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I get your building. When I sold the solar company, I was working the, the nights and the weekends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like now I'm even thinking like when my wife talked to me that night, you know, like I'm in my house in San Diego and she's like, Hey, I need you to do this for the kids or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm working. Yeah. I just feel I like, even today I feel so bad about that because I'm like, I should have been with my family and she was very, I guess, supportive, 
mm-hmm. maybe too supportive because she's mm-hmm. like, okay, if you're working, I'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. But I just felt terrible about that. Yeah. Anyways, I sell the business thinking, okay, now I have the money. I have some rental properties, blah, blah, blah. Now I can not work nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. Well, I still work nights and weekends, like two weeks later. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? So I, I, I took a hard like pause in my life and it's like, okay, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. And that's kind of when I went and really did some soul searching, really got into like my own personal mental health of like who I am, what I want, what I want to be known for, mm-hmm. what is my mission, what are my core values? And I kind of went down that whole path and I got really clear. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I've had money. I have money. I live a good life. Like, yeah, you I want to make a difference. You can change that wanna, pace a little bit. I want to be, I want to spread as much joy and fulfillment to other people as possible while also obtaining it for myself. Mm-hmm. That's great. And the real estate side of things. So that, that, um, is that something that you've just kind of done on the side? Yeah. It, what, what do you focus on? Do you do like rental property? What do, what do mm-hmm. you, what do you like to do? Residential? I've done some Airbnbs. I still have an Airbnb right now. It's just mm-hmm. residential. Yeah. Okay. Single family homes. Well, I have one, this was a good deal. It was a duplex mm-hmm. with 12 bedrooms and we rent. Wow. Out. We have 13 tenants. Wow. Is that like <laughs> near a school or something? Yeah, or? BYU. It's in Provo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Don't tell the city though. I don't think I'm supposed to have right, 13 you tenants. You can have only four of a different family. Is that how it works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'm I sure think, they don't yeah. listen to this. So you're good. <laughs> that was a good one. I mean, because that's kind of a little mini apartment complex, mm-hmm. you know, cash flows really well. And then is that something too that as you, you know, think about scaling, you know, buying the, the, co-packing facility and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like getting the commercial as you grow. Is that also part of the the plan or yeah, yeah, naturally? We have, some, we have some clients that we're picking up on. Um, the Josh Steele is the guy who runs that and he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's an entrepreneur to the T. Like he's running his own thing inside mm-hmm. of Dirty Dough. Like Domi is his baby. Mm-hmm. And he's just getting deals done. That's he's great. like, oh, I picked up this client. They'll bring in 40,000 a month next, starting next month. I was like, well, how much is that going to cost us? Nothing, because I'm going to rent the machine. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but don't we have to like source the ingredients and we're going to need a line of credit? He's like, nope, they're going to ship us the ingredients. They're just renting line time and we upcharge them. I'm like, that's awesome. You're the man. That's <laughs> so great. That's really going to start um, scaling. And he's been talking with a lot of the big box stores like mm-hmm. the Sam's Club, Walmart, Costco, awesome. and things like that. And those deals are game changers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're a few million, you know, minimum order. Yeah. And, uh, but you also have to, you know, they're, they're shopping now for who they want to use in the fall. Yeah. So you have time to prepare and yep. you can get things set up and all that stuff. And so, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that and, uh, really reliant on Josh, but he's been doing such a great job. Like he's, I'm franchise focused and the rest of the team is franchise focused, but Josh and his team, he's like, manufacturing we're manufacturing us. and I want to, I'm going to lower the cost mm-hmm. for dirty dough. Mm-hmm. by bringing in other franchises. And mm-hmm. we've done that. We sell the cookie pucks, the franchisees, mm-hmm. and we started selling them for buck 20, including mm-hmm. shipping. Mm-hmm. And then we lowered it to buck 10, and then we're going to lower it again to buck five so here pretty soon. Getting better margin for so, your franchisees. They're yeah, stoked and, and, about and obviously that. we can keep the margin for ourselves, but it's mm-hmm. like, that's... But you want Our more, franchisees have you to want crush incentivize it. it more yeah. franchisees. And then they're going right? to want to buy more. They're going to, yeah. you know. So that's great. I, I want to do whatever we can to really lower that for mm-hmm. them as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, especially as the cookie market becomes more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's, you know, selling from each other's sales mm-hmm. per se. So we need to get, get them higher margins. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we already have a facility. Let's rent out the facility to other people. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, other companies are buying flour through us, a few truckloads a, week, uh, a month. So that lowers our pricing, lowers their pricing. We make a little margin on that. Mm-hmm. So 
Well, that's great. So let's talk about some of these, a, a lot of big takeaways, right? You yep. mentioned some good stuff. What are some of the main ones that you would you would leave behind? Sales is super important. It's always number one. I, I think I always see it as number one. Yeah, I agree. You, you got to sell yourself to get started. You got to sell the product. You got, you know, yeah, see, I'm with I, you there. I, the, I built the company with a sales mindset. I didn't say, here's my franchise. Who wants to buy it? Mm -hmm. I pitched it to 100 people. And mm -hmm. I said, look, this is what I'm thinking. What if there's a franchise that you only needed one or two people to, to run? And all they're doing is putting some in the oven. Mm -hmm. And then you get the feedback. Oh, that's a good idea. But what about this? Oh, what about the, the waste? What about the? And then I just built what I knew I could sell mm -hmm. by going out to the market, kind of pre-pitching it, and then going back and formulating. So I know how to sell something, and I know what people want and what they don't want, and mm -hmm. I'm just going to go create that rather than creating a product and trying to sell it. So I think yeah. I did a little little backwards. I did it with the sales mentality. And that was really... Dangle the carrot. Yeah, that, that was really helpful. Um, the focusing on who you are and what you know mm -hmm. more than like who's going to give you the best paycheck. I would have probably made a lot of money if I just stuck with one summer sales company, just built teams, but I was switching. And every time I switched, it's kind of the 80-20 principle. If I come work for you for a year, um, even six months, I'm probably going to learn 80% of what I'm, what I'm going to learn from you in the first six months to a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can stick with you for 10 years and learn 99%, mm -hmm. but there's that diminishing return. So I switched companies and I purposely switched industries. Mm -hmm. So I did pest control and I even did satellite for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, the company went out of business after a few months. <laughs> um, anyways, so, and it was just like, okay, can I make more money doing pest control or satellite? Probably past, like I just made a quarter million my first real summer doing it, but what's going to make me a better salesperson? Well, I'm going to go sell a different product for a different company and learn what they have to teach me. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Vivint and then I went to Solar. So focusing on what you're learning and your skill set more than money, I think has been very beneficial. Um, the E-Myth Revisited, like that's a crucial book um, to build the business correctly from day one. So you have the vision to get out of the business, not because you're not going to work on the business, but it's mm -hmm. so you can work on the business rather than in the business. Yep. So that, that was super helpful. Advisory board. I didn't even know what the hell that was. I didn't know you can get a guy that's had a, a billion dollar company on your advisory board for a mm -hmm. percent and a half equity mm -hmm. vested over two. Like, I didn't know that I could go offer that to somebody and somebody would take it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So we have him, we have Eric Van Horn, who's like the franchise guy. We were on his podcast one time. Mm -hmm. He sold 40 franchises, collected over a million in revenue from one episode. That's incredible. You won't get that from this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he's very influential. Good old Building Eric. advisory board is something that a lot of entrepreneurs just, they don't do. Well, I they thought, don't do soon enough, I think. Yeah. Because I, why would an advisor want to be on your board if they're successful and you're like some stupid little kid? You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I thought. But anyways, you get the right person and then... Mm -hmm. People want to be involved if they're the right person, mm -hmm. right? Like if somebody's done a few biz, uh, billion dollar business and they're like, oh, if he's on your advisory panel, that mm -hmm. might say something. Now, mm -hmm. how do you get that person? Well, that comes back to sales, right? Oh, yeah. You got to sell them on it. You got to yeah. sell them on the vision. Mm -hmm. um, so we got him. Steve Hart's also on our advisory board. He owns the largest property management franchise. And we just locked down two others and we're capping it at five. But a guy named Randy Garn, mm. he's... Um, Chief Strategy Officer over a $20 billion fund. Mm -hmm. And then Scott Peterson, he was the led the BYU Entrepreneurship Program for a decade. Every year him, they yeah. were in top five. That's a solid board. Yeah, and, and then it's like, well, people buy franchises from them. 
on the board. And they won't, they still won't buy it for me. I'm still an idiot, but mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of building around that. And it doesn't, it's, it's only a few equity percentages or a half a percent yeah. to get people like that. And then when you, you or know, a quarter you, you percent sell it one day, like you said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if anything, it'll accelerate the, the value they bring makes they, they pay for themselves. That, that, easily. I mean, to get all of them on our board and able to pick up a phone call at any time, it's less than 5%. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, they, they're they bringing in players that are buying 10 or 20 franchises and bringing, you know, a few million in the in the company. It's like, well, that's that's worth it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So building an advisory board, um, structuring partnership agreements correctly that I learned from my advisory board and making sure vesting is in place. So if there's partner issues, it's all already, everything's pre-negotiated. If mm-hmm. there's going to be a buyout and yep. who decides when, how, mm-hmm. how that's paid, what the amount is, all of that needs to be negotiated but there's no emotion involved, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that was huge or else we would have, I mean, without that, I bet you we wouldn't, there's no way we would be where we're at right now because we I had the wrong partners. Mm-hmm. Not that they were bad people. They just, mm-hmm. they weren't the right partners. Yeah, so, I hear you there. <laughs> so that was super beneficial. Purpose-based business. You know, if you're going and it's like, well, I could sell the company right now. We have offers, like I wouldn't, but, and I could retire. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to because it's not about the money. Like I know mm-hmm. what my purpose is and what gets me excited mm-hmm. is building a thousand wellness centers. I was going to say, and, and you feel committed to even those 300 franchisees. Oh, I have to. Still, I have to. Like, you can't have to freaking you can't be like, kill all right, it. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like that's, you know, knowing what I'm actually after and having a mission statement. So my mission statement is to find joint fulfillment despite life's dirtiness in ourselves and others. Cool. So that despite life's dirtiness is don't wait for me to sell the solar company to, to experience the Jill, the Jill, shout out to Jill, <laughs> the joint fulfillment. Um, like you can't wait for the big exit or the next job or the next promotion mm. or the next house or the next car. Like you're going to get that joint fulfillment for a freaking second, you know, mm. a week, a day and mm. it's going to go away. So you need to find something. You need to find a way to find that joint fulfillment that's lasting and it's during the journey rather than at the finish line. It's great. It's a great thing to finish on. Any last remarks? <laughs> I mean, that was a good yep. one. That's cool, man. It's been it's been good to chat. Okay, there it is. Bennett Maxwell, great episode. The things that I really enjoyed talking to him about is one, how he took his skills around sales and has applied that in so many different ways, whether that is obviously selling franchises, but also selling very experienced individuals to be a part of his board or be the CEO of the company or whatever it might be, you know, that skill set of sales, he's applied to build something that is extremely scalable and can create massive generational wealth for him and his, his family. I also like how early in his career, he was less money focused and more knowledge focused and was okay with jumping around from company to company and learning different sales tactics uh, and different ways of approaching a deal and so on and so forth. Basically, was a sponge early on in his career and then how over time that continued to stack, you know, skills and techniques of how to you know, grow sales. The other thing that I thought was super valuable is seeing how he had a good eye for opportunity. And once he found a path to whether it was his solar business or obviously the cookie business, you know, he saw that opportunity dove in and not only obviously was able to sell what it is he was building, but 
he got a deep understanding and was very smart with understanding the operations of it. You know, like for example, the cookie making process, moving to a co-packer like method where they're taking frozen dough, slicing it up and then distributing it to all their franchisees, saving them the steps of hand mixing and hand forming cookies. They can really control the operations and the output of those shops and the size of the cookies, the amount of ingredients used and so on and so forth. So I felt like he's not only figured out how to be such a great salesperson, but I think he's also figured out how to become a great operator because he's dove in and you know just figured out different types of business models. So another great point that I also agree with, when you're building a company and you get to the point where you could bring on team members and resources and can afford them, it is important to figure out how you're going to replace yourself in various aspects of your, you know, of the business, right? In his case, you know, sales management and building out, you know, a sales team and, and you know, setting things up so whoever comes in to fill that gap has what they need to execute at the level that he was able to execute. So he can step back and focus on the business uh, at a high level. And this is always something that you see with entrepreneurs where, they are just immersed in the business. You know, when you're in the business, it makes it very difficult to grow or, you know, work towards the future. Figuring out how to position yourself in your company so you could work on the business instead of in the business is a great, you know, first step when you're building a new company to focus on. And a book that he recommends that talks about this is called E-Myth Revisited. So I would check that out if you want to learn more about how to achieve that type of positioning in your company. The other thing that I also see is super valuable, and I've always surrounded myself with mentors and advisors, is building a strong board of advisors, especially with the scale that his company is already currently at, you know, and how quickly it got there. You need experience surrounding you when you're especially dealing with that much you know, that many locations and franchisees and so on and so forth. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So on top of building an advisory board, building a strong executive staff. So like Bennett did by hiring Jill, who has a massive amount of experience in the franchise space and changing where he's located in the business to bring on a super experienced CEO is a big step, but can also be an incredibly valuable step in scaling, you know, the business as a whole, but also the, just the value of the company uh, going into fundraising and so, you know, et cetera. So I've done the same thing with my company, Durai. I hired Alicia, who I'm personally not the best at e-commerce and growth on, you know, online sales. You know, my background is the product side of things, the engineering, the manufacturing, the sourcing, you know, that type of stuff. You know, I hired Alicia, who has her deep-rooted backgrounds in e-commerce, working with Amazon, Walmart, and Walker Edison, and, you know, has a very extensive background in it. And I felt like I needed to do the same thing that Bennett did and just bring them on and let them run the show with their existing experience. So definitely a great takeaway about that and something to start thinking about earlier on in the business. And, you know, it's okay to give up a point or two to do that because the amount of value you get out of that person's interest in your company and the success of your company can change the end outcome, the exit strategy, the the value of it, how quickly it scales, what type of funding you're able to get, 
So I absolutely agree with them and definitely something to consider as you're building out your business. The other thing that I really appreciated about what Bennett's doing is not only obviously selling tons of cookies and franchises, but the fact that he's reapplying, you know, the outcomes of that business to the Life is Sweet Foundation and building out thousands of mental health facility across the country. I really appreciate that because he doesn't have to do that. Uh, But the fact that he is applying you know, the capital and the growth and, and giving back right off, the, right off the bat of, of really starting to grow this business is very impressive and just shows what type of person he is. And I really appreciate, you know, that he's doing that right, right at the beginning. So I have a lot of respect for that. And I think there's a need, especially in high schools and with the TikToks and all that type of stuff going on, I can see it being much more difficult to be a high schooler these days than it was when I was a high schooler uh, with so much influence from social media, you know, and all of those toxic things that are in our lives. I really appreciate it. Check out the Life is Sweet Foundation. Yeah, thanks for listening. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed talking to Bennett and I'm glad we were able to connect because we've stayed in touch since then. And, you know, there's a lot that I could learn from what he's done with, with Dirty Dough. Follow us on all the social media platforms. New episode next week. Thanks for watching or listening. 